Everybody is beginning to understand the sheer power of communications. Being the company's communicator is essential. There's a shift towards far greater understanding and therefore hopefully enabling a bigger and stronger impact as the function is given the the kudos and the power it requires. Welcome to Speak Like a CEO. My name is Oliver Aust and I have a wonderful guest today. I've been really looking forward to this conversation with Sherilyn Shekel. She's the founder and global CEO of the Marketing Academy. Now, the Marketing Academy is a non-profit organization that turns marketing, media, advertising and communications talent of today into leaders of tomorrow. And they have fantastic companies that back them and supporters that are part of the network. I'm going to talk about those as well. McKinsey, Google, Amazon, Salesforce, Accenture, you name it, they're all part of Sherilyn's network. So Sherilyn, welcome. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. It's amazing. And uh, shout out to Phil Rumbaugh, mutual friend who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, who introduced us. I'm very grateful to him for that. And um, let's start with um, why you do what you do. Why is marketing important? Why is communications important? Oh, because it can change the world. <laughs> that's why it's important. Um, Case closed. We can we can move yeah, on. Yeah, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's the brilliant. end of podcast. Um, I've always believed um, how important marketing, media, advertising, communications—the whole thing—is to to honestly to changing the world. So I believe that marketing and all of the component elements of it um, are really can really steer behavioural change um, across every citizen of our planet. Right? It is such a powerful force um you know marketing and media and advertising communications can really influence people's decisions what they think how they act you know the choices they make the things they do in every context and therefore i don't believe that there's a function or an industry on the planet that's quite as potentially influential as as our industry is so that's why I do what I do in this industry. That, that's that's not always the prevailing view, though, is it? I don't care. It's the right one. I agree. I agree. That's part of what we do is is yeah. know, banging the drum all of the time to ensure that the real influencers, stakeholders, decision makers really truly understand the power that's available at their fingertips. And so it isn't necessarily a prevailing um uh, view within some C-suite functions um, and some CEOs won't quite get it. Um, but I think that one, they need to. And two, I be- I believe that everybody is beginning to understand the power, the sheer power of communications and marketing and media yeah. and advertising. So I, so I think there's a there's a shift towards far greater understanding and therefore hopefully enabling a bigger and stronger impact as the function is given the, the kudos and the power it requires. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's a real shift happening in front of our eyes. But what does the Marketing Academy actually do? So we develop leadership talent in our industry. That's it. That's what we're about. So we... we we get that we take the best of the best potential talent at two levels emerging leaders and chief marketing officers so two different levels of program and we invest in their development in order that the the leaders within our industry are coming from the right place in order to utilize this power that's available at their fingertips so you know for for our industry to 
to do its best job, to, to do its best work, to have the biggest impact, then the leaders within it need to be the best they can possibly be. And that's what we do. Um, in, in, the, in the UK, in the US, and in Australia. Yeah, and it's a non-profit, which I find quite mm. interesting because they are organisations that sell these kinds of courses, mm. um, and and you know some some universities have that as part of your, their curriculum as well. But you do it as a non-profit. Could you speak to that approach? Yeah, we do. It's totally free. Um, so there's a few reasons for that. So firstly, the organizations and individuals that are involved in the marketing academy all gift their time for free which means that we can access the best of the best talent across our entire industry to help to deliver the leaders that are coming through and if we were to pay them if we were to charge for the programs and then pay the people that are delivering the learning nobody could afford to do the academy programs i often say our programs are free because they're priceless you literally can't put a price on them they would be more expensive than the harvard mba all of them and and that's because we can attract such amazing people to lean into what we do who will not charge us for their time because they know that we're not charging for theirs so so we took money off the table. That was one big reason. And then the other reason is we wanted to make sure that our programs could be experienced by the absolute best of the best, regardless of whether their organization has a training budget and enables them to pay the price ticket. So we wanted to take it off the table and go, you don't have to worry about going and getting, you know, 20 grand's worth of training signed off. This is to- this is free. Of chat all barred the expenses of accommodation and stuff. The actual program is free. Um, and money doesn't have to factor into it. We just want the best of the best. And we also wanted to be able to control the selection. And, and of course, if we were a, a training company just selling training, you know, you take you take all comers, and rightly so. But our programs, because they are so exclusive and because we can only do it for a certain number of people in each territory each year, we have to ensure that they are the best of the best of the best. And so we run an intensely competitive selection process um, for all of our programs to make sure that we're getting the the best so that all of the people investing their time, energy, wisdom, knowledge, experience are doing it for the right for the right cohorts. I, I love that, just taking money off the table so you can ruthlessly focus on quality and identifying the best talent, regardless mm. of whether they can afford it or not, and also bring the best mentors and teachers on board. Fantastic. And you build a pretty big network, right? I think 1,500 people, I heard, mm. is, is, yeah. is uh, and obviously all the, these are all top people and top alumni. Yes, yes, they are. I mean, the community is amazing. We couldn't do what we do without all of the hundreds and hundreds, well, thousands of people um, who lean in to what we do. So as an example, we have executive coaching embedded in our programs. And executive coaches, the really good ones, the board level ones, charge a lot of money for what they do, and rightly so. They gift their time to us uh, to be matched one-on-one with one of our delegates. So we've got 140 executive coaches around the world that each year contribute well over a million pounds worth of time in um, coaching our, our delegates, our scholars and our, and our fellows, as we call them. Yeah. So that's just one element of, of a very multi-layered program where if we were to charge for it, 
you know, that, that, that price would already become prohibitive. But we've got these amazing people at Lini. We've got 280 mentors around the world. And they are either CEOs or global CMOs. Um, we've got a, a speaker bank of around about 200 that we call our faculty. So these are subject matter experts that come and talk to our cohorts in the various countries every, every year. And by the end of next year, in addition to the community of teach, the teaching community, which is around 800, I guess, by the end of next year, we'll have a thousand alumni. And all of our alumni are very engaged with what we're doing and they all support us and they all lean in and they all pay it forward and they all pay it back. So it's a fantastic, vibrant community without whom we'd have nothing. Yeah. Let's rewind because it, it, it is amazing today. But at some point, 13, 14 years ago, you started obviously with zero delegates and zero mentors. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk about that. How did you persuade so many fantastic people who are very time poor to become mm -hmm. part of the mission of the Marketing Academy? Maybe, I, I mean, start with yourself because you started the Marketing Academy but you weren't a marketer before. You, you were no. a headhunter, you were in recruitment. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I've never, been a, I've never been in marketing. I think it was a, a path less chosen, a path not not taken. I think I should have been and could have been, but I didn't go that route. I was a, I was a career headhunter, an industry I didn't, I didn't particularly, it wasn't a job I particularly enjoyed. I was quite good at it and it's quite lucrative, but it wasn't a job that I particularly enjoyed. I went, I went through my own kind of come to Jesus come to God moment in my early 40s, which was a, a bit of a life change time for me. And I wanted to get off of the com the whole commercial rat race, which headhunting is very ruthlessly commercial. And here's the thing, I wanted to make a bit of a dent, right? I wanted to leave, make a bit of an impact. And I was passionate about leadership development. I was on the board of a leadership development company as a non-exec, I was passionate about it. But it didn't do a great deal of that as a headhunter. And then when I decided that I wanted to shift things in my life a bit, I knew that I wanted to do something that would develop talent. That was really important to me. And I needed it to, I wanted it to be non-commercial. I wanted to be able to utilize all of the experience of the good and the great in the industry. Um, I wanted it to be very philanthropic by nature, very gifting and generosity orientated. And what was super, super important was that it was in an industry or a function that could make the biggest impact in the world. And I had long time been a complete and utter fan of having the CMO in the boardroom. Yeah. And if you go back 15 years, there were very few. I mean, in the UK, at the time I launched the Academy, in the FTSE 100, there were three board level CMOs, just three. Um, and it's moved a bit, fortunately, it's shifted a bit since then. And it's much more of a direction of travel to appoint the CMOs into the board and to see the CMOs as successes to CEOs. But back then, that wasn't the case. And I was, I used to get as a headhunter very frustrated when I would talk to the CEOs who, who I was doing all sorts of board level recruitment for to find out that their CMO wasn't in the boardroom or wasn't a voice. And it, you, I, it used to defeat me. I would, I would, how do you not have the person <laughs> who's got your customer in the palm of their hand, who understands their heartbeat, who can test your customer's blood pressure, who can excite them, who can engage them? Why have you not got those, those people embedded in your boardroom? And it used to drive me nuts because I could always see the power and value of marketing 
media comms advertising as growth growth driver yes. for all of my clients yeah. and some some of our clients were obviously hugely marketing driven you know we did a lot in consumer world and the consumer goods companies are far far more marketing orientated but you know really rubbish in b2b etc and so when i when i decided i wanted to do this thing that was about developing this exclusive talent within an industry that was going to make a difference in the world there was no I don't even it wasn't even a consideration it was going to be yeah. within marketing media and advertising and we started off with an idea and some fantastic people and as a headhunter you do get a really good mm-hmm. black book it's true <laughs> and fortunately I was able to use some quite influential and very knowledgeable c-suite execs to test the idea with, to grow and broaden the idea with, and then to help me to open doors, to, to engage people to come on the ride. And I was really lucky, I think, I think lucky in hindsight, in that I began the build of the Academy in January 2009. And 2008 was the crash. It was, right. the, it was the real sharp end yeah. of the crash. And what that actually meant is two two things were happening. So the the kind of the commercial world and the very, very senior, very successful people were all feeling a bit guilty. If you remember back in 2008, 2009, there was this big backlash against the sort of the fat cats, the rich, successful people. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think that there was a lot of senior executives thinking, oh, my goodness, I, I need to be doing more. I should be doing more. You know, the world is going to hell in a handcart and I should be doing more. And so we I, we kind of hit that intent because the Marketing Academy is all about generosity and gifting of wisdom. And then also, because it was the middle of re- the recession, ironically, the most senior people in the industry had time on their hands. You know, because our industry went through a complete shit show yeah. that year. <laughs> And so I was able to get in front of CEOs and CMOs and, you know, industry, really senior industry figures that I'd never thought I'd ever get to meet. Um, and, and I was able to to have time with them because, you know, nobody was doing any business. <laughs> and, and we were here with this really good news story that was about inve- no money, just time, and investing in the future of of the industry and everybody it was like this amazing magical time yeah. that everybody lent in and of course you only need two or three people with a profile or influence to then open doors for a few more and a few more and then we we launched within 12 months so we launched by um the beginning of 2010 we actually launched as in opened the program yeah. that year of build was about building the community of people that were going to help to execute it. That's amazing. And uh, the, the right idea at the right time, executed by the right person with the right contacts. And uh, I, I wonder, um, how did you convince all these big brands then to come on board? You know, we mentioned the McKinsey's and Salesforce, et cetera. Mm, yeah, so, is- we, so, so the way that the, our structure as a not-for-profit is the way that we, well, the way that we can afford to actually run it is that we've, all of our programs are, Uh, funded by sponsors 
and most of the sponsors, well, all of the sponsors are, are big, global, recognisable brands. So we don't need a huge amount of money. People will be stunned if they learn how much we actually need. Um, but each of the programmes that we run, and we run three scholarships, we run two fellowships, which is the CMO programme, just about to launch the fellowship in APAC, actually. And then we also run alumni programmes for all of them in all three countries. And then we also run a, a big virtual campus programme, which is, you know, which got eight and a half thousand people registered on it. So there's a number of different programs. They all have to be funded. And in total, we've got 21 brand partnerships with some really and some of them have been on since day one. So so, for example, ITV came on board right at the very beginning. Um, so did PhD, who's sponsoring the UK. And then when we launched in, in Australia, we got the Commonwealth Bank. IAG, Google, they still sponsor now, eight years later. Uh, and then in the US, we had Accenture, we have Mars, we have KFC sponsored the scholarship in all three countries. And they stay multiple, multiple years. So how how we originally did it, are we if I'm completely honest with you, I wanted to do the whole academy cash free, but it was just ridiculous mm-hmm. dream. <laughs> Somebody said to me, employ people to run it I go oh I didn't I haven't figured it out yet and so it was always going to be just a sort of a passion project for me and I funded it you know personally for the first year because it was my idea and I felt only you know if it was going to crash and burn it should be my money um and then when we launched it was actually Phil Rumble who is now the chairman of my board was actually the first brand to say to me how do I get my company involved in this and I said, well, you don't because you're a mentor. So you're personally involved. You can nominate your talent to see if you've got anybody that's good enough to get on the scholarship. So you can nominate people. So, you know, what, why would you want more than that? <laughs> <laughs> because I really want for then Capri, he was, he was at Capri then. I really want for Capri to be seen to be supporting the industry. I want us to be seen to be an employer of choice. I want us to be recognized as somebody that was really valuing the marketing industry and, and talent. And I said, oh, well, what have you got in mind? And he said, well, don't you need money? I said, I don't know. I haven't worked it out yet. And he said, well, I think I can find you some money. How much would you need? And I go, I don't know. How much would it be worth? <laughs> we came up with a figure and that was it. He was the first brand in. And then the second brand in in the UK was O2, who stayed on board for seven, eight years, actually, until a change at the top. You know, meant that they, they had a change of focus. And it was a similar conversation with them. And then as soon as we got a few in, uh, and given that our profile was, is quite, was even from the beginning quite high within the industry, you know, it didn't take long for some other brands to, to start knocking on the door. And now Salesforce are our biggest global sponsor. They sponsor every program in every territory. Interesting. They're very strong marketing force as well, marketing and branding. Yeah. They're really yeah. good. <laughs> so yeah, they are. I think all of all of our partners have a real passion for giving back. Yeah. They have a real passion for investing in talent, and they have a real passion for our industry. Um, and you know, they're 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 we're fortunate that we have them because you know, without the people and without the brands funding it, you know, we'd we'd have nothing. So you already mentioned that the role of the CMO of the chief communicating company is changing. And um, it used to be pretty unusual that CMO would chief commercial officer, or whatever, would get to the board level. And also the CEOs used to come from operations, mostly finance. 
yep. now it's different. Something like Phil Rumble, you mentioned, you know, CMO to CEO. Um, so there are many more examples now. So it's definitely changing, as you pointed out. But what do you say are the, are the most important qualities of someone who's a marketer or communicator who then becomes a leader in an organization? So what, what does the ideal CMO look like? Because there's so many different things they need to master now. Yeah, there is. And the, and the, and the role is growing, right? Yeah. And it's growing exponentially. And, you know, there was there was a time just before the pandemic where the kind of the growth and breadth, the breadth stretch of the role was actually growing faster than the capability to keep up with it. And I still think there's an element of that. And that is okay. So long as the CMO's spike is in leadership. Because if your spike is in leadership, it doesn't mean you don't need to be an expert in anything else, really. So, you know, given the future of our industry is growing at a rate rate of knots, all of the new technology is growing at the rate of knots. You know, there's there's jobs coming up that, you know, <laughs> are like two years old, you know, didn't even exist two years ago. Um, and it isn't important for the CMO to, to be across all of that. They need to be curious about it, but they don't need to be across all of it. So long as they are an exceptional leader, if they're an exceptional leader, then they will bring in and build the, te- the capability within their organization to handle that breadth and that stretch. So true leadership capability is at the center of everything. And it's at the center of what we teach. We teach other stuff as well, but leadership is at the center of it. yeah it's- and then for the cmos to really make an impact and this is what we teach on the fellowship which is exclusively for cmos um we're, we're teaching cmos um to become ceos that's the direction of travel for that program and you know what's vital for that communication is number one not in terms of the art but in terms of the skill So being able to communicate, being the company's communicator is essential for the CMO. And they've got to speak multiple languages. And I don't mean, you know, geographic languages. I mean the language of the board, which is a completely different thing um, and is one of the biggest barriers to the CMOs really stepping into the power at their fingertips in the board and really stepping into the ability to influence the board is that if they speak just their own language, the CMO language, then we've got hope in hell of getting anything yeah. through that board or being taken as seriously as they'd need to be to ultimately influence and su- or even succeed the CEO. So the art of communication internally is essential. The language of the boardroom, the language of the shareholders, the language of the stakeholders – the language of the employees across all functions and all levels that you know that that skill set a capability set is vital for the cmo and then the ability to be able to operate through what we call white water you know white water rapids <laughs> because that's the role not just of the cmo but yeah. the ceo now you know nobody is going to really succeed in their career if they've just been used to business as usual, steady state business. Being in a business that's in a constant state of white water is actually a really good thing. But being able to keep your balance whilst that's going on, I think is also really vital. And then having that real curiosity, you know, real fascination and curiosity for what is going on out there, outside of your silo, not in the CMO silo, but much wider than that, because all of that stuff will just 
in, will increase your ability to influence internally and increase your ability to get exceptional output through through leadership. So those are the things I think that CMOs yeah. should uh, Super interesting. If, if I can just rewind a little to CMOs and you said that, you know, the spike needs to be in leadership. I, I totally agree. And in our new book, Message Machine, we have a chapter called The Humans Powering Your Message Machine. And we, we're also trying to answer that question because it is changed. The answer is, has been changing for some time. And we come to the same conclusion that there's so many things that are going on from the very data-driven performance marketing to the very story-driven PR and everything in between you can't master all of these and you shouldn't just be a master of one what you should be is a great leader who's curious as you said to always stay so stay on top of the most important developments and then hire the right people and motivate them and get them to actually be the experts from you know performance marketing to to storytelling and in terms of the ceo that's that's also very interesting because we um, we looked at it from the perspective of founders and startups in Message Machine, and we separated the internal, external, and financial stakeholders. As, as you also said, you, know, you said, speak the language of the board. And this yeah. is exactly that, that as a founder, I need to be able to speak, or CEO, I need to be able to speak to internal, external, and financial stakeholders who all speak a different language. And the story may be very similar, but of course, they're massive differences how I communicate with my investors or potential investors as opposed to customers also internally that's a big step if you come from CMO to CEO um, you, you will have to communicate to all of your staff and this can be way messier than any other group of stakeholders right so Can't it? it's so I find it so fascinating because I've often said when I am banging the drum of the power of the CMO, you know, I will often say the CMOs are the storytellers, right? Because the CMOs really understand that their consumer or their customer base is completely segmented, different messaging and communications to all sorts of different cuts across, across the segments. They know this stuff inside out. They understand the messaging. They understand the comps. They understand the publicity. They know it all inside out. What I find fascinating is that sometimes you have to raise their awareness a little about doing that internally in exactly the same way. Yes. All of the skill set that you're using to communicate to all of your multiple different segments of, of customers or consumers out there. You know, you'd never dream of messaging that category of customer with the same messages as that. And yet, they don't think about doing that internally. Right. Well, some do. I'm yes. being a general, you know, yeah. I'm exaggerating yes. to take a point. Um, but that's what, that's the game. Yeah. That is the game. And it should be done internally because if you can, you have to get the power and influence internally in order to truly be given the tools to do that externally. Absolutely. And and interestingly, internal comms, we describe it, well, it's actually internal marketing. You have to get the right message to the right person, uh, group of people on the right channel at the right time. It's just like marketing. But And how many and how many internal comms functions sit in HR? Uh, yeah, that's a terrible mistake, just to be very clear. This is, it's terrible. It should not it happen. It's 2023. It no, yeah, <laughs> just don't. Just, you know, so I say to some of our CMOs on the fellowship, are you are you are you across internal comms? And you know, I get no, no, no. That's it's sits in HR. And I'm really, what on earth is that? I actually think HR should sit under the CMO. I've often said that. My CMOs are going. Do you not think we've got enough to to go with? 
<laughs> but, you know, I'm thinking, oh, my God, but the people, it's the people. Yes. You know, that are really the company and therefore the CMO, given their skill set, especially if they fantastically spike on leadership. Yeah. And there are some companies out there that merge that the CMO sit, does sit over HR, uh, like Virgin, Virgin Media. CMOs always sat over HR, um, but they're not many. They're not many, yeah. and there should be more, in my yeah. view. Yeah, interesting. I also wonder if ethics plays a role at the Marketing Academy because you can use marketing for good and you can use it for bad, if we're honest. So it's 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 a tool which can use various purposes. So how do you approach that conundrum? Well, we do cover it. <laughs> in fact, in Australia, we've actually got a professor of ethics that uh, does a lot of work with us. He's fantastic. He runs the um, Ethics Centre, which is a global thing, which is amazing. He's awesome. Um, Dr. Simon Longstaff, if you want to check him out, he's remarkable um but it is so important to us that the purpose behind the work is the best it can be and so in all of our programs we kind of embed purpose sort of in the middle so we work with all of our scholars and our fellows at the two different levels at what we would call a, a heart level not a head level um so really enabling them or encouraging them to understand who they are why are they on the planet why do they even exist why are they on the planet you know, what impact are they going to make and why? What are they passionate about and why? Um, you know, what are they, what mark do they want to leave? What do they want to stand for? What are their values? Because if you can raise the awareness around that within the individuals, within any individual, the output on whatever job they do is going to be stronger from an ethics perspective if it's aligned with theirs. So we ensure that there's a little bit in our selection process to ensure that we attract in the talent that's got quite a strong moral compass. Um, because if we didn't, it would be harder to completely reshape somebody that's got, you know, very low moral compass or low ethics or values. Um, but the key to everything that we do is to ensure that we enable them to really interrogate who they are and why they are who they are and what they want to do with their lives because it is evidenced that the direction that they travel and the output of their work is far more powerful from a, and morally ethical. So we don't, we don't beleaguer purpose from a corporate or brand perspective. When we talk about purpose, we talk about it at a, at a real heart level. Um, and that's where we're, well, that's where our investment is to ensure that the power that's at their, that they understand the power of their fingertips, that they understand that they can put the wrong person in power as easily as they can incentivize a child to smoke, um, as well as getting people to, change their lives through working with the UN and helping the UN communicate their goals. You know, so we ensure that the, our community understand. And the first place is knowledge, isn't it? No, knowing thyself, uh, understand the impact that they can make the good, the bad and the ugly uh, and, the and, the, and the mundane, you know, the book, yeah. I mean, asked, <laughs> All of the crap that gets put out there that's just mundane, boring drivel. Yeah. You know, that they're choosing to put that out there. 
And that's okay, so long as they understand that they're making a conscious choice. And so we raise the awareness around that. And I think that yeah. that's helpful yeah. within our communities. Interesting, because a lot of the what is being put out, as you said, is not necessarily great or evil. Most of this stuff is somewhere in between, right? It's just mundane. It's nothing. It's, yeah. it's like wallpaper. Yeah. Why? <laughs> uh, just because. Just because they can, because they don't think about it, because they're not as aware yeah. of it, because it becomes a wheel and churn and, yeah. you know, yes. do the same old thing over and over and over again. And that's why we teach the things that we teach, like curiosity, like never living the same year twice. You know, the whole the whole thing, every marketing department, every year, you know, the beginning of the new year, they go, oh, and we got to go again. Oh, we got to go again. Um, and they're just relive, you know, and if you're not careful, you're just going to relive the same year over and over and over again. Why would you do that? You know, life is too short and things change all of the time. So do different. Be curious. You know, be more collaborative. Yeah. Take more risks. That's a big thing as well. Indeed. You indeed. Know, and and is not has not been huge risk takers over the last couple of decades. I agree. I agree. And um staying on that meta level you held some very interesting keynote speeches what's the effing point how to find purpose in a screwed up world and i love this one how to change your life in 10 seconds flat yeah I, so, love I love them all actually i love them all. i just get very passionate when i do when i do my so what's the fucking point sorry if um you can no no you can, can say that if i'm not um, but it is written in 10 foot letters hi when i'm doing a keynote <laughs> So uh, that, that this is a family show, but yeah, you know, adult children listen to this. So. Is about you know how you find your purpose. It's got nothing to do with marketing. There's no marketing content in any of my keynotes because I'm not a marketer. Um, but you know that 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 is elements of the purpose module that we embed in the scholarship is done in that in that particular keynote, which is you know have you ever sat on a mountain top and just figured out what do I absolutely love? What does the world need? What's going to give me money? You know the whole ikigai, ikigai is what we teach um, and uh, and that keynote is about that and then how to change your life in 10 seconds flat. I can tell you what that is now. Recognize that between the stimulus and response you have a gap and that gap is your moment of choice. So taking responsibility for the things that happen to you that you can or can't control is really, really key. And you can change your life in 10 seconds if you just think about things differently and take responsibility of the things in your life that you can control, let go of the things that you can't. Um, and that's quite a short keynote, but we get really good feedback from that. This is like a soundbite from something that we teach on the on the scholarship that works really well. Uh, so, I you know, this. I spend my life as much as I can, you know, ensuring that people get the uh, tools and inspiration and development to be the best versions of themselves they can possibly be. If I've yeah. done that, then job done. I love that getting from, you know, from, from system one to system two. So the animal response, the stimulus uh, response to, ah, let me just think about this for like three seconds. Yeah. And how often is the answer different once we thought about something consciously for three seconds? So I love that. Um, what What's next for the Marketing Academy? At the beginning of this year, um, I'm sure you have plans. Uh, would you would you like to share some of those? The APAC Fellowship is a big plan for 2023. So we currently run the fellowship in EMEA and in the US. So it's been in EMEA for uh, 10 years. Um, it's been in the States for just about to appoint the fourth cohort in the States. And um, we're going to launch it in APAC out of Australia this year. So uh, we're hoping that we'll have applications open by about March um, and that will be aimed exclusively at CMOs based in the Asia-Pac Asia region 
cohort of 20, quite exclusive, um, designed to enable them to, you know, power their influence in the boardroom. Um, so that's quite an exciting one for us. We're investing quite heavily in our alumni programs globally because, like I said, at the end of next year, we'll have a thousand of them. And they are all the gold dust of the future. So ongoing inspiration and development for those communities is really important. Um, growing our uh, growing awareness of what we do in the States. So we've actually been in the States for four years now, but it's such a massive market that, you know, to build awareness, remembering that we don't spend a single penny on marketing, media, PR, comms, anything, nothing. Everything that we do is word of mouth. It's been quite a slow build in the States because it's so vast. So we're going to be doubling down from a resource point of view and working with our fellows and alumni over in the States to just build that awareness a little bit so that people really understand who we are. That way we can attract more fabulous speakers, coaches, mentors, you know, the whole thing works when people know about you. Um, and then de continued development on our virtual campus. So the virtual campus program, which is a 12 month rolling program of inspiration about leadership, um, well-being, professional skills, personal development, which is for our community and all of their teams. So it's for all of our alumni and their teams, our scholars, our fellows, our coaches, our mentors, all of our partners. Um, we're getting fabulous feedback from that program. It's all delivered virtually. Um, and we really think that we've got something quite special in that platform. And, and that platform could be huge. So there's eight and a half thousand people on, the, on it at the moment. But we could have 80,000 people on that platform. And I kind of think of it as a bit of a gift to the industry. So we're looking at how we develop that virtual campus, which we did over the pandemic, you know, yeah. on, a, on a nickel and dime. Um, and actually realise that we've got something really quite special. So those are those are the focuses for me. APAC Fellowship Virtual Campus US. Those are the focuses for 2023 for us. Yeah, big plans, big plans. And this is always my final question. Um, what's your best communications advice to any leaders and potential leaders out there? Live the story. So the storytelling element, I cannot express enough about how important that is but you have to really live the story you have to there is no point in telling a story you don't believe in you have to be passionate about it you have to let people see the fire in your eyes but you know behind your eyes um so you need and you need to be you know be prepared to crash and burn that's okay be prepared to be fired for getting the wrong idea because that's okay. You get, get another job. But if you don't really step up to the plate, you know, with real conviction and power and purpose, then you're wasting an art and a capability. So live the story and be passionate about the story and stand and fall behind the story. That's what I, I would do, say. Do you have an example or an anecdote to share with us on this particular point? I don't think I'd built the academy if I hadn't been as passionate as I was. Yeah. about about what we were going to do and you know the academy it, it wasn't just I had the idea of, I didn't even have the whole idea I had an element of the idea at the beginning but as people started inputting to what it could look like for the first year I was pitching nothing but an idea that was it that we didn't have anything nothing and but I was so completely passionate about what we were doing and I could visualize it and I could taste it 
I could visualize what the first launch event was going to look like. I could visualize the first boot camp and I could explain it as if it were happening. And the feedback that I've had subsequently from a lot of the people that were engaged at the very beginning, a lot of them thought I was nuts. <laughs> a lot of them thought it couldn't be done. You know, that it, it just wouldn't happen. She can't, you know, we're not going to pull this off. They never told me that. I'm rather glad, actually. So they never told me. So I thought everybody was loving it, <laughs> which helped. With it. But so many of them said it was the passion behind what you were doing that was, it, that was engaging us. Yeah. You have to engage on a heart level, on an absolute human-to-human heart level. That's the real power of f- fabulous communication, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and 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 I and the academy was built on the back of communication and really verbal communication. We didn't even have any documents or anything. We didn't even have a website. It was literally telling the story of what this thing could be. I, that's, I that's, love that. Lift the story and the, the passion, and put put everything in it. Because I, I suspect that at the end of the life, when we look back, and probably all have some sort of regret, it will mostly be regrets of omission rather than things we've done as decent people. Will, but regrets of the things will. we did not do. And you know, this is something I worry about. And and you know, it sounds like you you did the same thing and and, and do the same thing. So it's it's the no, just go all in and follow that and and see where yeah, it leads go you. all in you yeah. know face face ask yourself what the worst thing that can happen what is the worst yeah. worst worst yeah. thing that can it's usually in a, in a business context it's usually get fired right 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 and that is and that's all and that's like disaster for many but is it really are you going to be Not unemployed really. for the rest everyone of gets life? fired once in a while <laughs> Because if you're being fired by having an idea that you were passionate about that you knew would work and they fired you, they're the wrong place to be yeah. anyway. So, you know, really, you might be out of work for a while. Yeah, all right. So, you know, you, you buy cheaper wine. Um, you know, our industry is quite is quite lucrative, right? A CMO is not on their uppers. So, you know, be prepared to, to do that thing that fills you with fear. Go into that boardroom with the idea that what makes you want to crawl into a corner rather than do because of the risks around it. If you believe it's the right thing, find that courage and bravery, face the worst scenario, deal with it in your head. Okay. So if that did happen, what might I do to de-risk it a bit and then do it anyway? Um, Because, you know, nobody ever got to be the top of the top of the top, the best of the best of the best by withholding, great ideas great work great decisions yeah yeah Cheryl I so enjoyed this conversation and it's a shame it ends but hopefully we can have another one we can have round two at some stage I'm up I'm up for it (laughs) I really do I could talk for hours on this stuff hours thank you so much so much for giving me the opportunity to to share the things that we believe in it's really really important to us and that my absolute honor to have you on Sherilyn Sherilyn Sheckle the founder and global CEO of the Marketing Academy thank you Sherilyn thank you for listening and see you all next week thank you